Sometimes people don't always get along, do they? I read about a, uh, a kid, an uh, eight-year-old boy from Waterford, Connecticut, who, uh, who actually saved his sister's life a few years ago. Uh, she was choking on a piece of hard candy, and, and he had seen on TV somewhere uh, uh, about the Heimlich Maneuver. And so, literally, he was the one there, and he performed the Heimlich Maneuver, got the piece of candy out, saved his sister's life. Six, year, six years old, he's eight years old. So a reporter went to, uh, to, to talk to him and, and get him in the paper and, and interview him about it. Um, and it seems as though, however, in the time between when he, when he helped his sister and, and saved her life and the, when the reporter came, things had maybe gone a little south in their relationship. Go ahead and put this up. It's, it's not the best picture in the world, uh, but here's the title. Waterford Boy 8 Saved Sister's Life. I wouldn't do it again. She's been a pain this week. A little conflict, a little sibling uh, issues. It's, it's hard to, to always get along. Uh, I, sometimes your sister's just being a pain. I mean, I thought maybe I'd have some testimonies to that effect, but I don't have a sister. Uh, but if I did, I probably wouldn't always get along with her, right? So, I mean, what's true, though, in sibling relationships carries over into relationships in a whole... Well, every, every aspect of life, relationships in marriage or uh, at work or at school or, or literally in, in the country, around the world, in our community, there seems to be more conflict than peace a lot of the time. So we're, we're studying this list of Beatitudes, uh, the, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, I've, I've uh, tongue-in-cheek, I guess, titled it the hashtag blessed list. Uh, Jesus uh, got, called his disciples together and started teaching them, and this, this uh, sermon actually goes in Matthew for, for uh, a good three chapters. This is just the beginning, just the first few verses. He starts off with this list of those who are blessed. And so he talks about people who are the poor in spirit and the, the, the meek and the merciful and the pure in heart and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness and, and on and on. These are the people that Jesus recognizes as blessed. If you've missed some of those along the way, you can go on the church website on the listen page and, and listen in or, or you can go to Facebook Live. And watch it, I guess. Um, so th- there are folks who are uh, who, who log in every week. Now that's not to say you can just stay home and watch it on on uh, on the uh, on the old computer screen. But uh, uh, if if you have to, that is an opportunity for you. But walking down through this list, we've uh, we've come to the next to the last one. Right? So just one more week of these uh, being hashtag blessed, I guess. No, I think we can continue to, to work these things into our lives. But it, this is all about making peace. Uh, let's read through the list again. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who, perse- who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It will be a bit appropriate, I think, for us to talk about persecution uh, on Palm Sunday, next Sunday, as we uh, anticipate Christ's Passion Week and the persecution that he suffered leading up to Easter. But this week, we're on verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. In 1873, Samuel Colt introduced a pistol nicknamed the Peacemaker. There it is right there. Colt 45. Because of its simple design and its use of shell cartridges rather than uh, the older style loaders, anyone could learn to use the Colt 45. It was easy to load and it, it had a graduated sight that made it simple to aim and to fire. And it is said that God made every man different, but Sam Colt made them equal. Because now anybody could use that gun, that gun would keep the peace. In November 1982... Ronald Reagan dubbed the MX missile the peacemaker. Because of its uh, mobility and its guidance systems, it was a deterrent against the Soviet Union's nuclear arsenal during the Cold War. And, uh, and so MX missiles could be launched as a counterattack uh, were we to ever be targeted uh, dur- in a nuclear war. And Reagan believed that MX missiles were the answer to keeping the peace. I also hear, uh, I, I'm not a black ops kind of, uh, kind of guy, but I hear that, uh, you can get one of the, I, I think it's pictured there, that is called the peacemaker. That uh, little weapon you can pick up, one of many, uh, in playing the, uh, the, uh, uh, the video game where you can get that gun and use it in friendly, Blowing people up, I guess, right? And, um, and, and so it's a fully automatic rifle that you can go into virtual battle with your friends. Okay? Many times, obviously we see the UN down here, a peacekeeping force is sent in many times, and, and, uh, the U.S. has, has, has done that many, many times, uh, it, it, being deployed on peacekeeping missions. We also talk about our police forces being keepers of the peace, right? Over and over again, it seems like uh, if we're going to be uh, promoting peace, we need a whole lot of guns and weapons. I think that's what that means, right? Um, we're not going to get into the whole weapons, guns discussion today. Uh, I just wonder, is, is that the secret to peace? Uh, history has shown actually peacekeeping efforts of, of various different uh, uh, different ways and, and means. Peacekeeping efforts have actually had mixed results, uh, and we pray for peace in the world, right? And and uh, and and yet, over the 3,100 years of recorded history. There have been, uh, and the, the statistic that comes up, I don't know where it, uh, it exactly came from, but I found it in multiple places, uh, that uh, over 3,100 years of recorded history, the world has only been at peace a total of 286 years, or 8% of the time. And over those years, there have been over 8,000 treaties between people made and broken. As Reverend John MacArthur has said, peace is merely that brief glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. 
So nations are always in conflict, it seems. But, but not just nations. There's conflict and division and worry and fear that shows up in, in, in every area uh, of life. And as we've said, at work and at school and, and at church and, and even in, maybe especially in our, our closest relationships, there's, there's, uh, there's also a lack of inner peace a lot of the time. I mean, anxiety and depression seem to be at, at all time highs as, as people lack this peace within ourselves. And, and we get angry a lot of times too, right? We, we get angry with each other and disputes between neighbors and, and there's road rage and there's racial tensions and there's, there's terrorism and, and there's religious conflict. There's people shooting up school. I mean, we don't have to uh, recount all these things. I think we know and understand peace is hard to come by. <laughs> it seems like a pipe dream at best or maybe just plain impossible. I recently heard of a group who had set out to walk across America on a mission of peace. I believe it was in Arkansas that uh, they split into two groups because they couldn't get along. True story, true story. Um, the story goes uh, back in, in the time of World War II, Lady Astor once said to Winston Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. And Churchill is said to have responded, and if you were my wife, I'd drink it. So, and they were on the same side, okay? So it was, this was, you know, peace isn't, and then there's, there's this cartoon. I think it'll come out where you can see it. Uh, the peanuts. Uh, Sally says, I hate everything. I hate the whole world. I thought you had inner peace. I do, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. Uh, we don't necessarily, I, do you know those people that have outer obnoxiousness? Um, Maybe some of us are those people that have outer obnoxious. In virtually every area of life, peace can be very elusive. But And we, we talked about peacekeepers. Jesus uh, didn't say peacekeepers were blessed. He said peacemakers were blessed. And there's there's a difference there. And we need to recognize that. Peacekeepers simply try to make sure no one's killing each other. <laughs> The conflict maybe has soothed, uh, no one's actively seeking to harm someone else, but peace is so much different than, than just the absence of violence. Maybe General Douglas MacArthur uh, helps us down the road toward peace. He says a truce just says you don't shoot for a while. Peace comes when the truth is known, the issue is settled, and the parties embrace each other. There's a big difference there. There is an element of, of peace when, when two conflicting parties stop going after each other. And that's, that's a good thing. Maybe they're just ignoring each other, but at least they're not actively. I mean, in some cases, that's a, that's a noble goal. Parents, you probably would, would take that some days, right? Uh, it, you, you'd like your kids to love each other and, and get along and, and enjoy each other's company and experiencing, experience true peace and harmony. Uh, but many days you just settle for a truce. You just go in your corner and you just go in yours sometimes there's there's that but uh, we need to recognize that the peacemakers that jesus is talking about here is not just about a truce where we'll just agree not to hurt each other it's actually uh, rooted in that term the hebrew term shalom and and you probably have heard that uh, before 
People say it, uh, the, uh, especially in, it's, it's a, a Hebrew term and in the Jewish culture, they, they, they use it as a greeting, they use it as a goodbye, they, they use it as a blessing on others. Shalom simply, uh, defi- is simply defined as, as peace, but it, as you see there, it's, it's more than peace, it's actually a sense of, uh, of wholeness, that, that all is well, uh, that, that, that everything is, is whole and, and as it should be. One author put it this way, the shalom of which Jesus speaks is not simply the absence of conflict. Shalom is much more profound. Shalom uh, is everything as it should be, everything in its place, a delicate and intricate interdependence. And it's those who are pursuing or making shalom in our lives and in the world, those are the ones Jesus says are hashtag blessed. The Bible uh, mentions the importance of peace uh, throughout, uh, from cover to cover, Old Testament, New Testament, and everywhere in between. We talk about peace a lot at Christmas time. Uh, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? And we quote that uh, at Christmas time a lot. The angels came and proclaimed uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and and uh, and we picture Linus saying those words, right? And uh, and so we we know that that peace is uh, is talked about in the and and it's actually hundreds and hundreds of times that peace is mentioned in the Bible. Just a few of the to, to give you a, a, a smattering of that this morning. Psalm 34, verse 14 says, Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 14, 19, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. James three eighteen, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. First Peter 3.11, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12.18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. First Corinthians 7.15, God has called us to live in peace. Proverbs 12.20, those who promote peace have joy. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And that's just a few of the hundreds and hundreds of verses that talk about the importance of peace in Scripture. I I, I ran across this week, uh, and again, in multiple places, uh, uh, folks who have kind of broken down people into three different types of people as it relates to peace. And so so I want us to to, to highlight that this morning. Uh, Not only are there peacemakers, uh, but there are also folks that could be described as peace breakers, or peace fakers. So I, I want to look at those three. First of all, the peace breakers. Peace breakers are the ones promoting conflict and division. They're the ones causing the problem, right? They're, they're the ones with outer obnoxiousness, right? Uh, sin, uh, brings that about in, in so many ways. People who, who want their own way, they're, they're unwilling to live at peace and instead they push their own agenda and, and they cause conflict and discord and it has to be this way and it, it happens again, uh, in nations, but it also happens in the workplace, it happens in the church, it happens in our families, it, it happens in, in any place where there's their relationships. Uh, and and the devil loves that. Uh, Thomas uh, Thomas Watson, the uh, uh, Puritan uh, pastor, said years ago, Satan kindles the fire of contention in men's hearts and then stands and warms himself at the fire. Uh, he loves that division. 
Uh, unity is not something that the, the devil loves, but that's something that the Spirit brings. Uh, and some people, though, are peace breakers. Scripture tells us uh, what to do about those kind of folks. Uh, and basically, Scripture says, uh, don't spend a whole lot of time with those folks. Titus 3.10 says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with them. Romans 16.17 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. In other words, don't be influenced by them. Obviously, we need to be praying for them. We're going to talk in a little bit about how to handle conflict and, and how, to, how to handle someone who doesn't seems to be bent on breaking the peace. But uh, some folks are just, just that way, and they are, they are peace breakers. Some people, maybe this is the the most dangerous one. Some people are peace fakers. These people go to great lengths to avoid conflict or confrontation or an argument. These are the people who prefer peace over the truth. Let me, let me say that again. These are the people that prefer peace over the truth, and that's a dangerous place to be. In, in doing that, they settle for a counterfeit peace, a fake peace that's based on really just avoiding the real issues. Pastor Bill Hybels from the uh, the Willow Creek Church uh, tells a story about one time when he settled for peace faking. He said he went to a close friend who uh, he was watching his life and seeing that he was making some choices that were not headed in a good place. And so he invited him to lunch and he, over lunch, he kind of confronted him and said, I'm, I'm concerned about you and, and I think this is, uh, this, I think you're heading in the wrong direction. But his friend got really upset really quick and actually I, like almost came across the table at him. And so, uh, uh, Pastor Bill Hybels kind of backed off and, and said, okay, um, I just, I, uh, right, you just, I'll, I'll, I just won't mention it again. Uh, we'll just, we'll just finish lunch here and I won't mention it again. Throughout the next, uh, days and weeks, uh, and months, Bill saw his friend's life shipwrecked. And, uh, and, and later he actually went to that friend again and he said, I failed you. I should have said, hit me if you want to, if it makes you feel better, but I'm going to stay on your case. Because, because I'm concerned for your future. But in that state, he, in that, in that instance, uh, Hybels chose peace over the truth. So in choosing peace faking over truth telling, people think they're being noble, but really they're avoiding the true peace that could come from two people coming to the truth uh, and, and shalom, everything being as it should be. Whatever has, has caused tension in a relationship, if it's left ignored, it will always come back up again if not properly resolved. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We can't just fake peace and just put on the smile and, and then what, what turns into a lot of times is that we fake peace with the person to their face and then we talk about them over here, right? And that's even worse. Peace faking is a dangerous place to be. 
Of course, Jesus talked about peacemaking, the peacemakers. Uh, they're the ones that, that, that he says are blessed. And it's, it's not an easy thing. Uh, making peace means when there's conflict, instead of avoiding it, I step into it. I, I, I go toward the conflict. I, I'm not avoiding it. it. It means that I'm doing the hard work of what, uh, what we read there in, in a couple of places in scripture that we're seeking peace and pursuing it. We're going after peace. It means diving into the conflict, uh, going to the true source of it all and finding ways to bring resolution to seek reconciliation of the relationship uh it's it's constructing peace where there was no peace and i'm building it a block at a time until we can bring about resolution it's it's not easy making peace is is not for the faint of heart it takes effort it takes time sometimes it doesn't work that that scripture in, in Romans I come back to periodically. Uh, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes you can't live at peace necessarily with a peace breaker because they're intent on breaking the peace. But 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 as we pursue, as we seek peace and pursue it, the payoff is is tremendous. Creating wholeness and well being in the world and in our relationships is is God's will for us. And so when we're making peace, He says we're blessed. We're blessed because we're being like God. In fact, Jesus says peacemakers will be called children of God. Uh, I think it's not only referring to the awesome peace that we can have with God as members of his family. We're children of God, and so we have that, that peace with him as, as our father. But, uh, but that we're also, pro- when we promote peace, we're emulating his character. We're, we're letting him shine through us because he is a God of peace and, and bringing wholeness, uh, to the, and setting things as it should be. That, then when we do that, we are emulating him. It's kind of like we're, uh, we, we use the term, he's a chip off the old block, right? That, that means there, that, that we see something in the child, uh, that is, that is, uh, recognize, recognizes or, or emulates the, the the parent, the father, chip off the old blood. It's the same thing here. We will be called children of God. Why? How? What, what's the context? Because God is a God of peace. If we are about the business of making peace, we're emulating his character and living that out. Those who bear Jesus' name will also bear his character. So how do we make peace? We don't want to be peace breakers. We don't want to be peace fakers. We want to be peace makers. How do we do that? The first step uh, is to pray about it. Matthew chapter 5, 40, 40, verse 44 says, Love your enemies and, <clears throat> and <clears throat> pray for those who persecute you. Not the easiest thing to do, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not exactly what comes naturally to us. Uh, basically, we're, we're putting the person, we're putting the people, we're putting the situation into God's hands and we're recognizing that he is the only one that can bring this true peace. Luke 6.28 takes it even further. He doesn't just say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He says, bless those who curse you. Yikes. I mean, Really? I mean, they're outerly obnoxious. Come on. What, why would I want to bless them? Praying for blessing people, uh, that, that we're in conflict with doesn't come naturally. And it actually takes a lot of humility. And I think that, that, uh, character trait 
as we've seen through this list, it kind of flows through all of them, right? We, we talked about it first, the poor in spirit and, and, uh, and, and the meek. It's not that, 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 that those are the folks that just get walked all over, but those are the folks who have a holy humility that, uh, that, that, that flows through everything they do, and it continues to flow as we're seeking peace. That's exactly what Jesus did for us when, when he took steps. He stepped out of heaven and became a, 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 a child, a, a baby, and then grew as a man. He, it, scripture describes it in Philippians chapter 2 that he humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. Jesus did not cling to being God, but he humbled himself in order to step toward us in order to bring peace in our relationship with him. When we're seeking to make peace in a situation, we must humbly pray to seek God's best for that person, for those people, for that situation, for a peaceful outcome. We've got to start in prayer. I'm not seeking my way. Uh, It's not that person gets on my nerves, I need to make this right. But we humbly seek God first and we seek his direction for what the what the next steps might bring. It has to start with prayer. The second thing I think is is important and... and, um, Man, I'm, I'm, uh, maybe a little caveat here. I'm preaching truth and I'm striving for this, but I have to say that I'm preaching to me too. So don't think that I've got this all, uh, all handled because, uh, uh, one thing that I like to do is, is, uh, maybe step away from it a little bit and just hope it all resolves. Number two kind of goes against that. Go early. Uh, because, uh, Proverbs 17, 14, I, I love this. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Before it gets to the point that the dam is broken and there's, uh, trouble and, and, uh, controversy and all the issues, uh, deal with it early. Go early to the person or the people. Try to resolve things. Uh, most of us, I think, uh, maybe it's just me, but most of us tend to hold on to things too long and we think that it's gonna subside and usually it just gets worse. So if we see conflict rising, we need to deal with it early. Conflict doesn't get better with with time. Again, that's just faking peace. So we need to go early. The, the third thing is that we need to go to the source. Matthew 18. Um, this is a uh, familiar passage to uh, to to many folks. We we talk about in in church circles the Matthew 18 principle. And some of you maybe have heard that but have no idea what it means. Some of you haven't heard that at all. Uh, but let's just spend a few minutes here because this really breaks down some steps to take in order to bring healing, in order to bring peace in relationships where there isn't any. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Just pause real quick. It doesn't say, if your brother or sister sins against you, go talk to some people about them. Because they really did you wrong, and you need some help. <laughs> go to the source. If if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. If they will not listen, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Dog on it. Well, let's walk through that a little bit. If you're wronged, it's natural to want to get allies on your side, right? People who will commiserate with you. People who will say, yeah, you're right. They shouldn't have done that. 
feels a lot better uh, than stepping in, stepping toward the conflict and uh, going straight to the source. Uh, but confrontation, bringing it up, usually is the only way to start down the road toward making true peace. Uh, remember, we're, we're, we're going at this in, in an attitude of prayer and humility. Uh, we're, we're, we're desiring reconciliation of the relationship. We're desiring, uh, desiring that, that everything will be restored as it, as it should be. And, and, and so we, we, uh, we, we see that in Matthew 18 that, that, that many times all it takes is that first step to say, hey, when you did this, it really, you know, uh, caused this in my in my life, or I really really sounded like you meant this, and and uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm upset about that. And and it says there, I mean, man, a whole lot of times you can just win them over just like that, and and all is well, and we've come together again. If you if you haven't won them over through that, then then you take a couple people with you again, not as uh, ganging up on someone, but uh, but just talking with them about it and saying, hey, this this is something we need to deal with. Um, it might even lead to a sit down with the pastor uh, if uh, if it still uh, causes problems, and then you've uh, you've you've pushed for peace, you've sought peace and pursued it, and and then if they don't listen, that last line, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Yes, they can finally, you know, we can get them, right? I always, I always took that to mean uh, something along the lines of kick the good for nothing out into the street, right? Um, a while ago, I can't remember whether it was in something I read or a sermon that I heard, but um, I was challenged on that uh, to think for just a minute about, well, okay, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Well, he, um, he loved them, uh, he prayed for them, he spent time with them, uh, he pursued them with the gospel. Uh, it's not, okay, I finally can wash my hands of you and move on. Uh, it's if I'm going to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector, I'm still burdened for their soul. And I'm still seeking for their well-being, even if they're resistant to it right now. Maybe it's not an active confrontation anymore. We've walked through those steps and, and they're not willing right now to step into that. But I'm still going to do all that I can to seek wholeness and reconciliation and restoration in that. Even if things don't get resolved, true peace wants what is best, not only for me, uh, but for the relationship and for the situation and for that other person. Uh, pray for, for those who, uh, uh, pray for your enemies. Bless those who curse you. We need to go to the source. And, and then as we do that, we're, we're seeking reconciliation. We're not seeking revenge. Romans 12 uh, has a lot to say about this. Uh, verse 17 and following, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So you want to get him. Be nice to him. That's what, no, I don't think that's what that means either, but the last line maybe sums it up really well. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, author Philip Yancey talks about revenge this way. He says, the problem with revenge is that it never gets what it wants. It never evens the score. Fairness never comes. 
The chain reaction set off by every act of vengeance always takes its unhindered course. It ties both the injured and the injurer to an escalator of pain. Both are stuck on the escalator as long as parity is demanded and the escalator never stops and it never lets anyone off. I've heard somewhere before that uh, vengeance never works, revenge never works because we're never measuring it the same way. Well, I'm going to get you back because you did this. Well, now I got, got you back, but, uh, but now you're, you're more offended than you were before. And, and that was so much worse than what I did to you. And so now I'm going to get you back. And it just continues to go on and on and back and forth. Making peace is all about overcoming evil with good. We're not returning evil for evil. I'm not seeking to get them back. I, I, I want to resolve things. Even more, I, I want to be reconciled in the relationship. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19 talks about reconciliation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I believe that those verses not only talk about us uh, approaching those who don't yet know Christ with, uh, with the gospel and helping them to be reconciled to God as well, but it's also talking about reconciling our relationships with them too peacemaking, uh, uh, reconciliation, uh, it's its actually different than resolution. Uh, reconciliation looks first to end the ho- hostility and the, uh, and the bitterness. Uh, resolution is all about the problem, solving the problem, but reconciliation is about the relationship first. Uh, so we need to seek reconciliation first. We need to end the hostility and the bitterness, and we need to come together uh, And then we seek ways to do the hard work of resolution, resolving what's going on. A lot of, a lot of stuff there, a lot of practical stuff that, um, that really takes time and attention for us to practically evaluate where we're at in our relationships with other people. I mean, it's, it's one sentence in Matthew 5, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. But there's a lot there. I mean, do I really desire peace or do I like being mad? (laughs) Do I really desire reconciliation and wholeness and shalom and everything put right? Even if that means that I don't get my way all the time. It means maybe I take a step back in one area and I'm seeking re- resolution in this area and I'm, I'm ultimately I'm wanting to have a, and maintain a great relationship with God and a great relationship with, uh, with the folks around me. In this world where peace is so elusive, I believe with all my heart <laughs> that the people of God should be the makers of peace. We should be constructing peace where there isn't any. We should be seeking peace and pursuing it, even when it's difficult, even when it looks like it's impossible. Uh, we should be characterized by peace because when we are, we're emulating and, and, and living out the character of our Father. And I believe it starts and ends. Uh, peace in our day and peace with others starts and ends with making peace with God. You will never be able to make peace with others until you have made your peace with God. He is the source of peace. He is where peace comes from. It's his peace that we're living out as we're his children. Uh, it's, it's, it, that's where it comes from, and that's the only way that we can promote peace in our day. Pastor Rick Warren 
talks about peace this way. He says, there will never be peace in the world until there is peace in the nations. There will never be peace in the nations until there is peace in communities. There will never be peace in communities until there is peace in families. There will never be peace in families until there is peace in individuals. And there will never be peace in individuals until we invite the Prince of Peace to reign in our hearts. Lord, search our hearts this morning. This is, uh, this is real practical stuff and gets right to the heart of the issue of, of, uh, are we living at peace with everyone? Or is there unresolved conflict? Lord, that, that conflict could look like sin, unresolved sin in our lives that's putting a break in our relationship with you and there isn't any peace in our relationship with you. So we want to deal with that first. Lord, point out, Point out anything, even in these, these, uh, few minutes together, Lord, point out anything that, that might be, might be hindering our relationship with you. And Lord, as we evaluate, as we allow you to evaluate our lives and, and speak to our hearts, Lord, I, I pray that, that you would bring to mind relationships or situations where maybe we need to be seeking peace and pursuing it more than we have. Maybe there's conflict, maybe there's discord, maybe we've just kind of uh, gone to our own corners to lick our wounds and, and it's, uh, it's more of a, more of a fake peace than a true peace. Or, or, or Lord, maybe, maybe we're the ones causing, uh, the, the conflict. Maybe we're the peace breakers. Lord, I pray that you'll bring, bring your, uh, your revelation and, and, uh, and conviction upon us about that too. Lord, I pray that as your children, that we would be peacemakers. That there would be something uh, amazingly different. When people come in contact with us, they see that we're not just like everybody else. And one big way that that's true is because we are peacemakers. Allowing your presence, allowing your son, your spirit, allowing your peace that passes all understanding to, to govern our lives. Lord, I pray that as we, as we go from this place, that, that, that you will enable us to, uh, to, to keep remembering and, and that you'll keep hounding us if, if we just try to put these things out of our minds. Lord, I, I pray that, that you will bring reconciliation to relationships that, that are broken. I, I pray that you'll bring resolution to situations where, that need to be resolved. Lord, I, I pray that, that you'll help us to do the hard, sometimes awkward, uh, sometimes seemingly impossible work of making peace. And Lord, I believe that once we make peace with you and we begin to make peace in our individual relationships, that that continues and and builds into our communities and into our nation and around the world. Lord, we, we pray for peace. We pray that you'll help us to be makers of peace as you draw us. Lord, we, we thank you and we, we anticipate your presence and your power in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.